Hello, welcome to Seniors and the people who love them. I'm Cookie. I'm Binky. And I'm Wendy. And I'm Jill. Hi, Jill. How are you? I'm good. We're so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. First, we want to talk a little bit about our last episode. We had Jason Thomas on who discussed durable medical equipment. And you two know Jason, right? In in real life. I don't know if Jill knows Jason. I don't think I know Jason. He came to, he. I think he came on several occasions. And you may not just remember him when we were at Patapsco Valley. So I would call him and he would help me facilitate and get equipment DME in place for our residents that were being discharged to their homes. Or, but we have um, been knowing each other for a good time. And as I stated in the podcast, he was always that person who showed up just in time. Sometimes we have residents that obviously that were under case management and we had to get them ready for discharge. And of course, in getting ready for discharge, certain things need to be in place, i.e., durable medical equipment. He has been a real asset to what I do on a daily basis, and I'm sure the nursing staff would also share the same, but it was great to have him on. And it was comical to me because we often ask our guests, what is it or what was it that provoked you to be in the field or the arena that you are? What He said, I'm not going to say anything that's going to be fuzzy or say the things that people like to hear. He's got other lifelong goals, but it was just funny to him him say that. And and I've known him for many years. That's how he is. He cuts to the chase. He doesn't gloss over things. So it was just good to have him be who he is that I remember him to be. What about you guys? What do you think? Yeah, we work. I work with Jason, like you said, Cookie. And yeah, he's a state forward. It's nothing like we call putting salt, sugar, pepper, anything. The way it is, that's the way he's going to say, yay or nay. If he's not eligible, he's going to say no. He's not going to bush around and say, oh, this, that, that. He just directly say, no, client is not qualified for it. But then he also gives other solution that they can buy this from here, cheaper way, or give other resources to help line to meet their needs but yes yours is very straightforward guy say yes or no and i rather have straightforward guy than exactly. people are giving a little bit word on honey to make you feel better and eventually last answer going to be no anyway anyway but they waste <laughs> right. your 15 minutes bush honey up to you and nothing out of it it's better to say my 15 minutes say it's not going to happen so he's that kind of guy. And yeah, he seemed like a really positive, funny, enjoying life kind of guy. So that was really nice to see. Yeah, exactly. Before we start, we have a disclaimer. And Pinky, will you share our disclaimer? Yes. Our weekly disclaimer is that we are not physician or lawyer. If you have a medical issue or legal issue, please seek to practitioner or lawyer to give your professional advice. Today, we're going to dive into the topic of infection control for the elderly. We are very blessed to have with us Jill Brooks. Jill is a staff development and infectious disease coordinator preventionist for a local continuing care retirement community. Welcome, Jill. Thank you. Welcome, Jill, and thank you so much for taking out your time. I know that um, I've been known Jill for uh, a minute now, and uh, I know she's very articulate, and she is very dead on serious about that this particular topic, and as she continues to discuss it, we can understand that our listening audience will also understand that this is some serious stuff, and you can't be beating around the bush about it because we're talking about the lives of individuals. Our focus today is our our senior population, but there's a lot of stuff out there that we need to be aware of and mindful of. And and I know that Jill will help us understand uh, uh, some of this stuff. Jill, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you um, became uh, an infection disease 
coordinator, preventionist, and staff educator, how long you've been in the arena, and uh, we'll just continue to talk and ask questions. Okay. I've been an RN for 23 years. I started out in a hospital in uh, Brooklyn, New York, on the med surge unit. Once I moved to Maryland, I had several positions. I was a nurse manager for a an organization that takes care of developmentally disabled adults. I was a resident service director for an assisted living in Annapolis. And I did a little infusion therapy. But the last 10 years, I've been pretty much in the same role, infection control, staff development. That's great. Can you tell us what what a typical day for you is in that role so people can understand the nitty gritty of what you do? I would say a typical day would start out with a morning meeting where I listen to anything that has transpired uh, within the last 24 hours. And that might include new infections. And from there, I will dig deeper to find out what type of infection, what the treatment is. Depending on the infection, I may need to do some re-education with staff because a lot of it, prevention starts with staff. After that, I might go through the chart, introduce myself to the resident, and just document what the results that I have found. That sounds really great. That is a big job because I understanding that right now CMS, which is our state medical assist organizations overseas, they are very much into infection and the treatment client receive. Because last few years, we are treating infection like eating candy. And the people on RENA afraid that giving antibiotic to certain people, we're going to run out of antibiotic to work on a particular infection. So they are very careful for that. With that question, Jill, which one do you think are the common if infection in mainly in elderly people? I would say pneumonia is one. Urinary tract infections are another. And then wound infections. So those are the top three. I would say you have to be really careful with recognizing signs and symptoms early on, especially with seniors, because their response can be delayed or decreased. So that's so true. It's something that you can easily overlook or can get dismissed if you're, yeah, if that's what the practitioners want to do. But yeah, that's so true. Just like UT, they just manifest differently in the elderly. They do. What we should do, Jill, to prevent this kind of infection? For pneumonia, I would say movement is best. You don't want to kind of, if, if you can help it, lie around uh, the majority of the day. Hand hygiene, I can't talk enough about keeping your hands clean and keeping your hands away from your mucous membranes, which is your eyes, nose, and mouth. For UTIs, I would say water, hydration, excellent. Complete emptying of your bladder, very important. A lot of times when you get older, you will retain urine. It's best to, if you are continent, and able to go to the bathroom with assistance or by yourself, that you sit there a minute because a lot of times you will urinate. And then if you sit there another minute, you'll see that residual will then empty. So if you're holding on to residual, there's a, a an increase increased chance of that residual becoming infected. Hydration, good hygiene, 
And for our seniors who are sexually active, it's really good to urinate right after sex. I think that's always been correct in terms of all of us that engage. I think that's a good practice anyway. But Jill, you touched on some of this, and I want to maybe have you reiterate or um, there is a difference with the aging process and how the immune system is impacted. So my question is, can you expound on some of the implications that it does have for infection control in the elderly population? There's a, a general slowing down of the way our bodies function. There's a, a decreased immune response. So clinical changes are more subtle. As we age, uh, there's a decline in the immune response and the response to different antigens that may be uh, introduced to our bodies. Along with the slowing of cell division, there is slowing of our response to organisms that are introduced to us. That's that's really good information, Jill. Thank you for sharing that. And when you what you said earlier is movement, taking vitamins and minerals and drinking water and exercising. So that's really some good, valuable information that uh, you've given us so far. Yeah, there is a there's actually a term for it. It's called cellular synesthesia senescence and it is it basically means that cell division has decreased and the cells the response has decreased so there's just a general decrease in the cells ability to perform accurately i know we talked about ways that you can prevent infection in general but I'm interested in ways let a facility like the facility that you work in, what ways do they as an organization, as a facility, do they initiatives that they take to prevent infectious disease? You would have to start with really good education, staff education, monitoring, which is what I do on a daily basis. And she does. I think our staff, staff is really good at noting if a resident has a cough or a a sneeze or a low grade. They don't play around. They're right on it and we'll COVID test you right away. So it's, it all starts with basically education and, and you can teach people, but I find retention is better when you give them the rationale for why they're doing certain things. So when people understand why and the ramifications of any consequences, then they're more likely to be compliant. So I also, at the particular community I work at, it also helps to have backup from senior level people. So the our president really did a great job of being on board with everything we wanted to implement in order to keep everyone safe. So you really have to have that buy-in from, from the top. Yep. Regardless of personal personal feelings or values, because there there are people out there that felt like let's say COVID was manufactured, it wasn't real. And you can certainly feel that way. But when you're running a company, a healthcare company, you have to focus on the reality. And the reality is, we don't want to, we don't want to harm anyone. Yep. And that is so true. Yeah, there was some controversy with that in other companies as well. It was such a challenging time. Very challenging. It's ironic because 
I started this job probably a week or two before COVID hit. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have an infection control person. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Timing is everything, right? Yes. Pretty much I hit the ground running. Wow. It also helped to have different departments also work in unison. For example, security. Front desk would call me and say, so and so just came in. They don't look, they don't look good. They don't look well. They're coughing and they'd call me and I'd come down with my PPE and we stopped people right at the door. Environmental service plays a huge role because they are basically cleaning and disinfecting. And you want to increase the frequency of that. Good communication with the environmental service department is also key. Thank you for all of that, Jill. And you, you, you described this pretty much already, um, but what specific infection control measures, what should be implemented during flu seasons or outbreaks of COVID to, I mean, over times of increased infection risk? Can you expound a little bit on some of the things that we need to be mindful of? Sure. I have to circle back to hand washing. There's no getting around it. So what I would suggest is monitoring staff as they wash their hands, going around doing your audits and just re-educating on the spot. That and just reviewing the infectious process with with staff. Mm -hmm. That and good respiratory hygiene, coughing or sneezing into the crook of your elbow as opposed to in your hand, that's major. Basically, I would say it is hand hygiene, education, respiratory etiquette, and of course, monitoring and testing if necessary. We can test for the flu. And just education is everything. It really is. How about just staying home when you're feeling something coming on you? Very important. I don't know how many people have come to work and infected others because they were, I don't know, I guess they felt like there would be some backlash if they called out. Yep. And that's ongoing. So that's up to managers and leadership not to be punitive when people are ill. They need to stay home. Yeah, I I thought a real... People just kept saying, we should stop testing. No, that doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't yeah. stop testing. Yeah. And Jill, it's all right. Like symptoms like cough or diarrhea or vomiting. Now everybody's mind, oh, come on. We have to do testing, COVID testing, because they want to protect other people around them. And Listener, also for you, if you have a loved one in a facility, if find out that you have some kind of signal, especially COVID, and you are confirmed that you have a please let facility know that my mom and dad is there. I tested positive COVID, and I'm not sure, but four days ago, I was visiting my mom. That is so important communication. So we also need to protect that they visited to make sure the prevention happened like testing and make sure they don't have it. If they have it, we can do other procedure to help them out. Listener, please communicate. If you have a healthcare, your loved one in a healthcare facility, please communicate if any kind of infection you have to help your loved one in the facility because it doesn't matter if you have tested positive today, but you might have a symptom four days ago and you probably visited your mom four days ago and you might got, who knows, you might, mom got infected, but we need to find out. Other you tell us, we would know because as I say, all elderly people doesn't show in same symptoms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, their immune system slow, so showing the symptoms slowly. So we need to be very careful on the communication that helps your loved one. 
Absolutely. We had something similar to what you just spoke about, Pinky, happened recently where a a daughter visited her mother and then the daughter realized she was positive and the communication was great. It was very much appreciated. We ended up testing everyone on that unit, including employees. Luckily, no one else was positive. That was a good thing. But yes, communication is everything so that we can put steps into place to prevent transmission of not just COVID, the flu, anything. Bacteria is smart. Bacteria and viruses, very smart. What may work today may not work six months from now because they they morph, they find a way, they want to live. They change, they change protein spikes and what works and killed that bacteria or that virus today may not kill it tomorrow. Overuse of antibiotics. And that's brought the uh, new question for Jill. In healthcare facility that I guess I will say last three years, Windy may not correct it, call, we call antibiotic stewardship, where we're making sure the client who has infection, because what happened is like in healthcare, if mom is sick, not feeling good, I'm going to call the doctor and say, mom not feeling food, she's coughing a little bit. Okay, put the antibiotic right away. As soon as in healthcare, nurse called the doctor and doctor said a body. The government few years back recognized that a lot of physician giving client and a body, which is not necessary. And because of that, they put the program called antibiotic prevention or whatever they call, where when the antibiotics start in a 24 hour, you look at the whole picture of a client, antibiotic uh, infection, and then decide that it's necessary or not. Do you play that role in your facility to decide is effective medication or not? Or sometimes you might have to call physician and say, yeah, you order it, but the person does not have a symptoms. That's discontinuous antibiotic at this point. Yes, yes, Pinky, I do. Part of infection control is managing the antibiotic stewardship. And as you mentioned, the state is really strict and the federal government very strict on cracking down on rampant antibiotic use. And yes, a lot of times seniors may present with a change in mental status, for instance. And right away, you're right, the physician wants to start them on an antibiotic. I meet with the medical director on a monthly basis and we review all the antibiotics that were prescribed along with the duration of therapy and if it was indeed the right antibiotic, because that's what's important. If you, a lot of times physicians will want to pre prescribe a broad spectrum antibiotic, which is basically killing good and bad bacteria. That's usually not good. You really want to pinpoint the antibiotic. So once you obtain a, a culture and sensitivity, the sensitivity will tell you, depending on the organism, exactly what antibiotic is going to work best to kill that bacteria. And that's what's needed right now because we are making our um, seniors resistant to antibiotics and we are moving towards a space where nothing will work yep. because the body is resistant to everything. So 
and then throw a few allergies in there. And I've seen seniors die from things that you think they shouldn't be dying from, but it's because Mm -hmm. it just builds up and builds up and then add some, a couple allergies in there to things. And it's not good. I was going to say one of the, one of the things that is known is that if you took a urine sample from say everyone on a particular unit, the majority of that would come back as being infected with bacteria. And that is so true. That is Mm -hmm. so true. Mm -hmm. If you have 60 patients you tested, urine tested, that means known that 45 patients will come with a And then the county would tell you're on an outbreak. (laughs) Yes, yes, correct. As we learn from our healthcare arena and working on that arena for a long time, if something is not broken, leave it alone. And that goes with UTI. If they don't have a symptoms, don't treat. I remember one doctor that we, I guess everybody know we work with it. He always believing not treat the lab work, not treat the result from laboratory. You have to treat the symptoms yes. versus yes. the lab result. You remember that doctor very well. I'm sure you all are. But, and that's so true. That is so true. So Jill, you um spoke about the staff education and how to keep the staff well-versed of what's happening in terms of the senior population. But what about those who are at home? How do you, how does one, communicate with those individuals at home who have senior members in terms of educating them on infection, the types of infections, and what what can one do? We're living in a time where we have information at the click of a button. I don't think we always use it the way it can be used. If you go to the CDC's website, There's a plethora of information on infection prevention and ways to prevent infection. Another very good uh, website is the H, the National Institutes of Health, and even the WHO, the World Health Organization. Any one of those organizations will provide a lot of uh, information on preventing infection. But basically what I would say is circling back to hand hygiene. We touch so many surfaces on a daily basis that a lot of other people have touched. We call it high touch surfaces. If you're touching surfaces that others have touched, and then you bring your hands up to your face, you are introducing bacteria into your body. Personally, whenever I come home, the first thing I'm doing after putting my bag down is washing my hands. That brings me to, at home, some things that I see people doing that I think is probably one of the reasons that we see so many people with so many different types of infections at home, but in handling the meat and um, keeping food out. Can you speak a little bit about those kinds of things that we can do at home? Absolutely. Uh, Raw meat, you want to clean it and handle it on a surface that's non-porous, meaning nothing is going to penetrate that surface. You want to wash your hands very well after handling any raw meat and refrigerate it promptly. And this goes for, especially in the summer, with foods that are made with say mayonnaise, which is a culprit and can make you ill and develop bacteria. So you want to make sure your temperatures, your cold 
foods stay cold and your warm foods stay warm. I'm certainly not a culinary expert or a food handling expert, but I'm very aware of touching raw meat and not touching anything else until I've mm -hmm. washed my hands. I'm going to put you on the spot a bit. Do you wash your chicken before you eat it or do you not wash the chicken before you eat? You hear back <laughs> and forth chicken. about that. You I recently read that you shouldn't. I know that you make it worse. It was like two years ago they said you shouldn't. Yeah. So I, I was, so I I was wondering, been. me with the infection disease, but when my sister says to me, you don't wash your chicken? What's wrong with you? And I explained to her the most recent information that's coming, that's come out. Well, you know, sometimes I'm in it. a quandary. So it should be mm -hmm. okay, right? You're cooking it. Let me ask you guys, because I'm not, meat is not my major diet. Do you wash chicken or no? Please mm -hmm. answer, the... yeah or nay? No. Well, you know, the experts are saying now that you don't wash it. Now, if you're asking me personally, I don't now. But prior to that, I was. And so I still get a little weary. So I find myself washing some. So I'm just back and forth. I'm not really sure. Have I gotten sick either way? Thank God, no. But what my understanding is that when you're washing, and any meats, I know people who wash steak when they take it out, out of the, the plastic. I know people that wash pork chops or anything that before they eat, they rinse it. And I think you're okay has... with that because you're going to cook it. I'm a fanatic about washing my fruits and vegetables. Me too. But I feel like things I'm going to cook, I'm okay. But Jill, what do you say? <laughs> I don't think so. I can stand without doing anything without washing. I guarantee you, if it, they say no. don't wash, it ain't going to happen. It has right. to be washed. Okay. I agree with pinky i'm old school so i'm uh -huh. going to wash whatever meat i'm preparing but i'm also going to be very conscientious of turning on and off the faucet for example Being, unless you have uh, the faucet where you can just touch it with your elbow right <laughs> turn it on but so what i do is if I have to touch the faucet, I'm going to bleach everything or the countertop, the faucet afterwards anyway. Yes, I, I still wash my chicken. and meat. <laughs> so I know we went out on a tangent a bit, but I'm sure Pinky's going to ask a question about the, the people, what that That's means, correct. what that stands for. Yeah, you used that word PP previously. Mm -hmm. So let's tell our listener what pp stand and how it helps in this topic with prevention of infection pe stands for personal protective equipment and we use it when there is a an infection an infectious agent or maybe an undiagnosed infection that we're not sure about so that would encompass your your gown, your gloves, maybe an N95. That depends on if who you're you are caring for, whether they have a respiratory illness that is infectious, then we definitely want to wear a mask. Or if they have a, what we call an infection that can be transmitted by contact and that is touching the person or their environment if it is respiratory then definitely you want to wear your mask if it's covid or the flu or even the gi bug the stomach flu and n95 would definitely come in handy there is say a resistant organism in the urine, then maybe the mask may not be necessary. 
and you could just go with your gloves and your gown. There are several, there are, are a few precautions, standard precautions, which is just general precautions. For example, if someone was bleeding, you wouldn't touch the blood or any body fluids with your bare hands. You would wear gloves. That's standard precautions. And then there is contact precautions where, excuse me, someone's environment can transmit an organism or if they can transmit an organism. And then you have droplet precautions. For droplet precautions, you should be wearing an approved N95. What happens with droplet precautions is when the person who is infected coughs, sneezes, laughs, or talks, droplets leave their mouth and they go up into the air and then drop on the ground up to six feet. So that's why we had this whole six feet stand six feet away from the next person. So those droplets are pretty big. So they go up in the air and they land on the ground within six feet. Airborne precautions is a little similar. The difference is that the droplets that leave the infected person's nose and mouth are very small in size. So instead of dropping within six feet, they linger in the air. And that is a lot easier to contract something when the organism lingers in the air. You just breathe it in or inhale it's it in. It's amazing to me when I learned that organisms just hang in the air. And I think about when you're flying and oftentimes you come back with some type of cold or some other type of bronchial just from being on an airplane and probably because those droplets are just hanging in the air and there's not much circulation and it's always been interesting to me. It is interesting with airborne droplets. It's so highly contagious that, for instance, someone with tuberculosis, they would be put in a negative pressure room which kind of sucks out the infected air and pumps in fresh air. So someone with who is on airborne precautions really should be in the hospital. In long-term care, we're really not able to care for them uh, safely. Now we have a one negative pressure room in hospice and we used that for COVID patients that were on vents. But other than that room, we couldn't, you you couldn't do proper airborne precautions with COVID with folks that were on vents. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. I think the community where I work, we're, we're lucky that right now all the resident rooms are private rooms. So we don't have to make a decision about pairing an infected person with someone who is not infected. That makes it a lot easier if they if they have some kind of infection. They can just isolate in their room. And that really helps with decreasing the transmission rate. Jill, you've talked a lot. Good information. And can you just talk about the protocols for communicating communication reporting and coordinating with local health authorities when it comes to an infectious disease outbreak in the facility? Absolutely. The first step, every day I report to what's called PROPS. It's a um, state reporting agency. And um, they want to know if we have had any positives within the last 24 hours. So I report to them every workday. It used to be over the weekends too, but they recently stopped that. Are you still doing that? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Every day. We are still doing that. Every you day. You doing that pink? 
Yeah, are you doing that too? We are doing okay. that. I'm not doing it, but facility you, doing but, it. Yes. Yeah, the facility. Yeah. Okay. Because we're hospice, they don't quite know what to do with us. <laughs> so <laughs> that was not the requirement. When we were on outbreak status, we had to. There was tons of reporting every single day, but, and we were always on outbreak status because all it took was one person to be positive. And we went months and months and months, and then we would go off outbreak and go right back on it again. (laughs) And we haven't been, I'm knocking on wood for quite a bit, but I can't imagine what that's been like. Yes. One positive is considered an outbreak yep so after i report to props and if we did have a positive i would include that information i would receive a call from them right away or an email more than likely i would have already emailed uh, the state to tell them about our positive and then from there i would submit a line list with information about that positive person and what we did to contact Trace and how often we are testing people who have had exposure to that person. Then within a couple of days, we get a visit from the tech team which is the... that is so right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where I used to work, we were privileges. Every two weeks, every two weeks. And it's not one visit they missed. Every two weeks. That's right. That's right. What does TAC abbreviation stand for? It's the Tactical Assistance Team. So they implemented this during COVID. And basically because of so many people, so many deaths from COVID in long-term care. So they will come within a couple of days of you reporting a positive, and they're really an ally. They are there to help. It's give you information and suggestions, and basically they want to know that you're doing what it is you're supposed to do in order to curb any additional positives. So for the most part, they've been helpful. I've even had them come in and do some in-servicing with our staff, which they're Mm -hmm. more than happy to do. So they're a resource. That's great. But a lot of reporting. I'd like to add that if, if someone is experiencing an infection, let's back up. If you're in a senior living environment and you have staff and physicians and rehab coming into your room, you should make it a practice to insist that they clean their hands when they walk in. You'd be surprised how many people don't do that. That's very important. And then if you are prescribed an antibiotic, be mindful of the duration. So for instance, for a uncomplicated urinary tract infection, really it should, your antibiotic therapy should not last beyond five days. And it's good to make sure that the antibiotic that was prescribed for you is the correct one to kill that specific organism. And then I just want to end up again with hand hygiene. Yep. (laughs) Wash your hands. And keep them away from your face until you have washed your hands with soap and water. That one, I'm probably going to die before I do that. I remember when COVID first started and they were like, don't touch your face. And I'm like, my gosh, I touch my face. I touch my hair. I do it all the time. That's a hard habit to break. It is. I think we touch our faces hundreds of times Mm -hmm. in the course of a day. Yeah, me too. So what resources and support networks 
um, are available for caregivers and healthcare professionals to stay up to date on the latest infection control guidelines for the elderly. Can you recommend some? Actually, if you work in a facility or a hospital, the resources are there. It's always important to have a strong, knowledgeable infection disease person. I'm always amazed at new employees who, when I go through infection control with them and putting on and taking off PP, that they were actually shown the wrong way to do it. And I'm always amazed that I hear, oh, I didn't know that. It's a little scary. It's a little scary too. But I think doing your own research and especially being an informed patient is everything. The healthcare field is crowded. It's so busy, especially with the baby boom generation getting up in age and, and having chronic conditions. It's you really have to be an informed patient or caregiver. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just education. Educate yourself if you're not getting it from your place of employment. It's a, because you have to protect yourself. You want to protect exactly. your family and your children and your grandmother and being informed. As I said, we have all this information at our fingertips. Yeah. We should use it. Yeah. <laughs> I know I've seen some hospitals even hang signs up in the rooms yeah. that says, ask your healthcare providers if they wash their hands. I like that. I do too. Yeah. I do too. Okay. So let's take a break and we will be right back. Okay, welcome back. This is the part of our podcast where we review any news or talk about any resources that you can continue your research. And then we are going to have a joke from Pinky. All right. So some of the resources I found in my research, and I I think these are the same things that you talked about, Jill. NIH is an awesome a place to find things. So I found an article there and I will post it in the show notes. It's control called Infection Control Issues in Older Adults. It's by Dr. Lona Modi. And then also the CDC. I have a complicated relationship with the CDC because I there were things that I do feel like they mishandled during COVID, but overall it's the best that we have. So the cdc.gov is a great place for infection control facts. That is, I found an article called Infection Prevention Tools, Nursing Homes and Assisted Living for Long-Term Care Facilities, and I will post that as well. All right, Pinky, you are up. Okay, joke for today. My man is dining in fancy restaurant, and there is a gorgeous redhead sitting at the next table. He has been checking her out since he sat down, but lacks the nerve to take with talk with her. Suddenly, she sneezes, and her glass eyes come flying out its socket towards the man. He reflectively reached out the grab it out of the air and handed it back. Oh my! I'm so sorry. The woman says as she popped her eye back in a place. Let me buy you dinner to make it up to you, she says. They enjoy wonderful dinner together and afterward they go to the theater to follow by drinks. They talk, they laugh. She shared her deepest dream and he shared his. After playing for evening, she asked him if he would like to come to her place for night camp and stay for breakfast. They had a wonderful time. The next morning, she cooks gourmet meal with all trimmings. The guy is amazed. Everything had been so incredible. He said, you are the perfect woman 
are you this nice to every guy you met? No, she replied. You just happened to catch my eye. I think Jill knew about that joke, right, Jill? That's that one she got me laughing on. That's that's that was cute. Okay, so that is our show for today. We would like to thank Jill, who brought so much um information to us today. And um Jill, is there a way of um reaching you for if anyone wants to follow you or get any information regarding infections, infection disease? Control always get that messed up. <laughs> I do not have an Instagram page, but I I do have an email address. And if you want to reach out with infection control questions, I will certainly answer you. My email address is J E M underscore brooks that's b-r-o-k-s at yahoo.com and i can um, put that on the show notes if you're okay with that as well i'm fine with that great thank you so much so please subscribe to our upcoming episodes we'll be releasing new episodes every other tuesday morning if you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future topics, please visit our website, www.seniorscast.com. You can email us at seniors at seniorscast.com. Please give our podcast a review. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, really at most places that you find podcasts were there. Yeah, that would be great. Thank you for having me. Until next time, I'm Pinky. I'm Cookie. And I'm Wendy. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.